forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the wealth that is in there. And I pray you would help us to dig that wealth out in this next time that we would be enriched. Um, Jesus, and, and we just think of you appearing in this remarkable way in these locked rooms. Think, how, how, could, how could you have got in there? Well, Lord, we, we do pray for us today. All these miles removed, all these years centuries, millennia removed. We say, would you by your spirit be very present among us and would we know your peace. Amen. Peace. Peace be with you. How many times was it said? Three times. Three times. And um, the resurrected Jesus clearly has a lot to say about peace. And I'm going to preach on the peace that the resurrected Jesus brings from this story, from this text today. Peace is big business. Peace is really big business. We may, we may um, be used to it travelling under a different term, well-being. Big business, am I right? Huge business. I did a bit of work in a cafe the other day, a cafe that was attached to a uh, swimming a leisure centre in Swiss Cottage. You know what I mean? To that cafe in Swiss Cottage. And it's an amazing thing. You get a look out onto the pool and then, and then there's these big glass walls that go up. I don't know, three, four storeys where different... Things are happening. Different active things are going on. Exercise, I think they call it. No, uh, and, uh, but it's amazing just to see this incredible dedication and, and personal trainers are coming in and out of the calf and, you know, coming in and going out with juices made of all kinds of stuff. And it's like, you know, what we eat and what we drink and how we look after our bodies. Is, is, it used to be quite marginal. Has anyone been following the, the program um, Back in Time for Dinner? Oh, you've got to see it. It's an amazing thing. Um, they take this family and really what they do is so they have a week living in the 50s in terms of diet, particularly about diet and lifestyle, but particularly around food and family culture around food and the kinds of food. 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. It's fascinating. Uh, social history as much as anything. But it makes you realise that where we are at now as a, as, a, as a culture, as a society, in terms of awareness of nutrition, food and health, it's extraordinary. Extraordinary knowledge um, that we now know what goes into our bodies and the effects that it has. But there's no getting away from the fact that um, in the city that we are in, well-being is big, big business. And I think if you were to speak to the average Londoner and talk to them about this, I think most would see it primarily, first and foremost, as an individual thing, i.e. diet, uh, fitness, good living. That, that would probably be foremost because that's what I hear 
most and read most just being around being in London. And then secondly, social. So probably things like well-being is a big deal social, having a good circle of friends, being in community, a, a sense of neighbourhood, and not having toxic relationships and, you know, these kinds of things. These, these, I think, would be the first things that people come to mind when they think about well-being. And there's definitely a kind of wisdom in both, without a doubt. But what if there is a third factor that isn't just a third factor, but it is the foundation, the God factor? We've got to look at this. It's not surprising that we're going to look at this today as a church. Uh, the God factor and well-being, or the God factor and peace, and really how that works. Because what if all of our sit-ups, workouts, breathing exercises, and vegetable smoothies, without this foundation of the God factor, end up being us putting the cart before the horse. And we've got this image of this. this quite, I thought this was quite a cool image. So what if taking care of yourself, your, 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 your body, your health, your fitness, your cardio, your six-pack. I mean, six-packs. When I was young, I didn't know what a six-pack was. My kids talk about six-packs all the time. It's like, you know, it's, it's an, it's, it is actually quite remarkable how things that once were perhaps you know, of interest to some people now seem to be of more than interest to most people. Uh, and, and what if, we, at the, in, at, at, as we concentrate on all these things, and then, and then social things and kind of relationships, but at the expense of God that we end up in this scenario. We've, we, it's just, it's, it is comical. And I kind of, I guess what I'm going to maybe challenge and provoke us with is, 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 is whether we unwittingly don't get fooled by that. Because you can have everything, physically, even socially. You can have the perfect wedding day. Weddings are such huge business now. That's another thing. You know, just everything can be perfect, and yet we could end up missing the biggest thing of all. And I'm, I guess I'm, you may be sitting here as a believer thinking it sounds like I'm maybe just talking to people who, who have no concern for God. I, I, I'm not at all because I, I, I'm a Christian. You'll be glad to hear. <laughs> I'm a pastor. But I would definitely uh, be aware of my own uh, leanings, internal leanings towards looking, sometimes subtly, but it's in the heart looking for well-being, primarily elsewhere. Exercise, good food, good relationships, they are the blessings of God. There's nothing wrong with them at all. I'm talking about primarily, foundationally, um, which, which would be expressed by where we invest most of our time, thought, energy, resources. That's how it's expressed. Um, that's the only sort of way of being able to really know what is the priority. So Jesus appears and he says, peace be with you. And then he shows them his wounds. Now, we could take this two ways. We could, take it, we could say, well, what he's doing is he's saying, peace be with you. And then he's saying, it's really me. And that may be the case. But I wonder if he's saying more than that. I wonder if what we're seeing here is that somehow their peace is in his wounds. Peace be with you. This is, this is your peace. You see, Ephesians 2 Verses 13 and 14, if we could have that, says, Now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility. And he goes on to talk about the cross. And he's saying, he himself is our peace. And so this is this remarkable thing that Christians believe, that a physical, historical act happened on our behalf. God acted for us. God was judged in our place. God was raised from the dead in that sense, the Son of God, God in the flesh, raised from the dead to demonstrate that that act on the cross was victorious, that it worked. That's one of the things the resurrection says. The cross worked. It wasn't the defeat that it looked like. It wasn't the folly that it looked like. It wasn't this shameful, humiliating thing. Fundamentally, it was the victory. It's where God took on the powers of darkness in his son, Jesus Christ, and beat them. And so as believers, as Christians, we look back to this historic, physical act. And we believe that this Christ, this Christ on the cross, has made a way for anyone to be reconciled to God and know him as loving, heavenly father. It's incredible. It's amazing. And that is what brings peace. Now you say, well, why does it bring peace? There's plenty of other things that claim to bring peace, even spiritually. Well, let me, let's look at this for just a moment. Because there is no philosophy, there's no belief system, there's no exercise regime that would claim to atone for our sin. There isn't. They're, they're, they're just, let, me, let me just show you what, what, what they do. One of two things. So philosophies, belief systems, and spiritual exercise regimes will do one of two things. Firstly, they will either won't talk about sin. It's just seen as negative. Sin is, the, in the Bible, it means that we've missed the mark, that we've not lived up to what we were created for. And so it's seen as just too negative. Let's not talk about that because it makes it worse. Let's be positive. Um, the problem is, is that it, 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 it is the elephant in the room. <laughs> Uh, there's, a, there's a great little image here. So I thought that was good. Um, that's what it's like. It, it's like, boom. Yeah? Boom. Like, well, what, what about all these things we're reading in our newspapers every day that are being committed by normal people like you and me? But more, more than that, what about the things that go on in my mind and heart when someone offends me? Well, what about that? Is breathing going to deal with that? What about this innate selfishness where I'm just really concerned about me? What about that? It is the elephant in the room. And, but we can say, well, let's just be positive. There is a, there is a naivety about that. Um, or or, or the, other, the other thing, that, so that's one way of going about it. The other way of going about it is that sin is spoken about, but what's said is that if we just try harder, everything will be okay. And at the end of the day, it's probably like a scales thing. So if we just do more good than bad, it should be okay in the end. We mustn't do the scales thing. Here's why we mustn't do the scales thing. It's like saying to a judge, I know I stole and I know I murdered, but I also paid for some things. And I didn't kill everyone. <laughs> Plus, I arranged a street party at the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. And that must count for something. Can you imagine a court case where that happens? And everyone looks, looks at the judge and the judge sort of goes, says, that's not what this is about. Those things are kind of expected. It's expected that you pay for the stuff in the shop and that you don't kill everyone. <laughs> the Diamond Jubilee, okay, maybe a bit of a bonus, but that doesn't go any way towards atoning for the fact that you stole and you killed. It just doesn't work. So to say we'll have more on that side and it'll outweigh it, it just doesn't work. It's, it's, it's folly. God is just. God is, God is the judge. Will not the judge of the whole earth do what is right? 
absolutely is committed to justice. That's why judgment is a positive thing. It's such a positive thing. Every wrong is put right. The reason we don't like it is because it's like, oh, I've done wrong. Where does that leave me? That's why we, we struggle with it. But it's a good thing. So, so this, the, ignoring sin doesn't work. And doing the scales, if we just try a bit harder, doesn't work. It doesn't deal with the sins that we've done. Jesus' wounds are redemptive. They have brought back humanity from the brink of total destruction and have blasted open a way back to God for us. Peace be with you. And he shows us his wounds. And yet he honours our individual freedom. You won't be forced into this. He's blasted open a way and he offers you through repentance and trust to be reconciled to the Father. So that's the first thing of peace. The second thing is... Um, is we're told, and, uh, and then he said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And then he breathes on them. Uh, we did this because this is one of the chapters in the book. The kids were like, He breathed on them. <laughs> Why did he breathe on them? Um, the idea is that breath, breath and Breath and spirit are the same word in the Bible. Now, actually, the verb used here is different. It's, it's more to blow. But the, the breath and spirit and wind are all the, it's the same word is used. And so it's reminiscent of the story in Genesis where God creates Adam from, from, from the dust of the ground and he, he breathes the breath of life into his nostrils and he becomes a living being. And then we get this set. So the breath, the breath it's like the nearness of God. You know, when you feel the, someone's breath on you, they are close, right? Sometimes too close. But that's the idea that he's, Jesus is saying, I'm close and I'm breathing my spirit into you. It's a wonderful, wonderful passage. John, John 14 um, captures this well. Maybe if we could just have this up on the screen there. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. This is before he went to the cross. He says, but the helper, the Holy Breath, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I've said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. I love that. Not as the world gives do I give. You know, give and take it back. No, no, no. Not as the world gives. I leave it with you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So he, he breathes on them. And then he says this remarkable thing. He says this thing. He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So... We all love reading about Jesus' mission, don't we? Healing the sick, raising the dead, proclaiming good news, feeding the 5,000. And then he goes and says this. As the Father sent me, guess what? I'm sending you. That's enough to give anyone a heart attack. Let's not this one go, yay. Let's, hold on. Look at what he did. And he's saying, you're going to go and do the same. That's frightening. That's frightening. And, uh, and so he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you peace. The, the, the mission of Jesus is really hard. It's, there's two reasons why it's hard to be caught up in, in, in the same things Jesus did. And, and the first thing is this, I think. There's so much need. As you, I don't know about you. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're like me in this sense. You, you just see the need. And you think, what am I going to do? <laughs> do you know, you get this? I, I'm, I, I walk through, I think, what, where, do, where do I start? This is hard. This is, this is sad. This is breaking my heart. And I don't know where to begin. And I think that you can go into lockdown when that happens. You just think, you know what? I've got enough troubles of my own and now I'm just surrounded by brokenness. You can just go into survival mode. It's very tempting. Let's be honest. 
And I think secondly, when we do try and share Jesus frequently, there's misunderstanding. People think, don't get it. What are you trying to put your stuff on me for or whatever? You think there's misunderstanding. And so we can opt for a different peace, you know, a different kind of peace. It's like no trouble. <laughs> quiet life peace. Just like, I'll just keep quiet. It's peaceful. That's not the kind of peace Jesus was talking about. That's just an absence of trouble. That's not the peace of God. The peace of God is much more wonderful um, than that. Much, much more wonderful. Jesus draws us into his adventure and promises us power and peace as we go about it. So a Christian who is living obediently for Jesus ought to know the peace of God in his life. Not, Not being overwhelmed to the point of paralysis by the need. I love, you know, Jesus, he, what we told of him once, that he, he healed this man of an illness that he'd had for 38 years, I think it is, 38 years. And he found him in this place where sick people were just lying everywhere. And they were waiting. I don't, I don't know, the Bible doesn't comment on whether it actually happened or not. It just says there was a pool there, and apparently it says an angel used to come every now and then and stir the pool, and the first one in got healed. I mean, I, I don't know, it sounds a bit unusual, but what do I know, you know? So the, the, the sick would gather, and Jesus saw this guy, and he says, do you want to get healed? Maybe Jesus said, sorry, you've been there ages, you know. And the guy said, I haven't got a chance. I've got no, no one to, no one to let me in when the water's stirred. So Jesus, Jesus heals in there and there. But it's interesting that he doesn't seem to feel the pressure, the needs to heal everyone. He was one person in, in, in a scenario full of, full of pain. And, and then he says things like, I only do what I see the Father doing. Oh, that's, ah, peace of God. When I know the peace of God, that for the wounds of Jesus I've been made right with God, and then I know that as my loving Heavenly Father, He's going to catch me up in an adventurous life for Jesus, then I, then I can be confident and peaceful that He has lined up people for me to meet and serve and share with and bless. That sounds all right, isn't it? Is that okay? Yeah. We can do that? You see, it, good works, the Bible says, prepared in advance for us to do. People that God has prepared for us to meet that we might be able to share with and serve. It's wonderful. And so, um, I love this. And then, and then there's, this, there's this strange verse about, did, you, did any of you notice, any of you have any theological difficulties with any, any verses particularly that we read? If you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. That's unusual. Did you spot that? Now, I'm not going to go into huge depth on this, but I will just say one thing that actually there is something very powerful in proclaiming forgiveness in Jesus' name that opens up the door for forgiveness for people. If I don't, with people that God has put in my path, with people that God has given me an opportunity, if I don't do that, I'm effectively doing what? Closing the door on them hearing about forgiveness. Now, I don't know if that's what Jesus meant, but I find it a very provoking thought. Luke 24, Jesus says this, um, can we just have that please? Uh, Jesus said to them, thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. It's God's desire that repentance, which means turning away from dark things and turning to God, and forgiveness of sins, which is such a glorious thing. Forgiveness of sins means this. If you are in this room today and you are weighed down because of something you've done that you ought not to have done, something you didn't do that you ought to have done, something you said that you ought not to have said, something you didn't say that you ought to have said, something you thought that you ought not to have thought, something you didn't think that you ought to have thought, and it weighs on your heart and your conscience today through the wounds of Jesus Christ, 
as you genuinely bring that before God with an earnest heart and say, God, I'm sorry, because of the cross, that burden no longer has any authority to plague you. That is great news. Not only so, but people that are with us today, those of you who have never experienced that at all in Christ, or anyone outside who's never experienced that, and, and may have for years and even decades built up this sense of huge weight hanging over them, a simple thing as a believer in God's timing, respectfully sharing the fact that because of the cross, they can be forgiven, can open the door to them to experiencing forgiveness of sins. That is incredible. And the most exciting thing about it is, is that the one barrier between us and God, us and knowing God in a good friendship, us being reconciled to him, is sin. And so forgiveness of sins wipes it all out of the way and we can be reconciled to him. This is great. And it is simple. It's not complicated. It is really, really simple. Finally, poor old Thomas. Peace be with you. Thomas is, yeah, I do feel for Thomas. If I wasn't there, if you weren't there, would you have believed? See, poor Thomas now, he's even got a syndrome named after him. You know, Doubting Thomas. He's not just a person who has a label now. It's a poor guy. He's in glory. He's a saint. When you meet him, be nice to him. Yeah? Because it's not been easy the last 2,000 years, has it? You know? Doubting Thomas. It's not easy. But he wasn't there. And he's like, well, okay, you know, and, and, and Jesus does reprimand him. It is true, but, you know, um, I think there's something wonderful here that, that Jesus comes and says, peace be with you, and then he meets Thomas in the middle of his doubts. And that's the final thing. The peace of Christ can come to us in the middle of our doubts. This is very, very, very important. He is clearly struggling to believe. You know that feeling when you're not in the same place as everyone else? Everyone else is like, yay! And you're like, you know that feeling? You sort of punch the air too, but you're thinking, oh no. Now, Thomas, he was braver than me. He just said, oh no. And unless I, he went over the top, he did go over the top. Unless I put my hand, you know, it's like, oh, don't do it. But Jesus somehow heard. He wasn't there, but he was there because he's here. Hallelujah. He heard and he says, right, let's, let's go and see Thomas. And uh, is there such a thing as a doubting disciple? Question. I think we have one here. I experienced doubts. Everything from, will Jesus answer this prayer? To, is this whole thing fiction? I do. I have those moments. What, what do I do in those moments? What happens in those seasons? It is my experience as I've honestly looked at those doubts and attempted to make sure, number one, that they're not really just a smokescreen for me wanting to do something that Jesus prohibits. You know that you, can, you, you want to do something, Jesus says no, so you then go around the back route of, well, it is even real, you know, because I want to do this thing. It's wicked, isn't it? It is wicked, but it's, it's happened. So make sure it's not that. Secondly, make sure it's not just an excuse for my own laziness or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Will Jesus answer this prayer? Well, you know what, prayer's going to be hard today. I can just feel it. <laughs> Really answer it. And really I'm just thinking, um, I want to do something else. And I want to pray. So I have to just check, check, check. But once I've checked, now this is Jesus, just genuine doubts. What I've found is, is that as I've brought them to him, that's the key. I think sometimes Christians get so full of shame that they just sort of, they, 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 they put it under a stone and then, then, you, then it's in the darkness, right? And, and, and nasty things grow in the darkness. 
Nasty things grow in the darkness. Don't let it happen. So I bring it out and say, Jesus, <laughs> uh, I've, thought, um, you know, I've been following you however many long now, it's 22 years, whatever, um, and I'm scared. I'm scared because this thought came in and it had a lot of power in it and it's, it's about whether or not you're real or whatever. Or this happened and I just cannot see how that adds up with that. you really got to help me, right? And what I've found as I've, as I've done that is that he has come, not always instantly, but every time. He has come with a conviction that operates on a deeper level than the doubts. And when that happens, it's wonderful. Because you're not pretending. Do you understand what I mean? You're not just covering up pretending, trying to patch it. He comes and he, it's like he says, peace be with you. He brings a peace in the middle of my struggle. Because he's faithful. And he's real. And if he isn't real, he's not going to do that. But if he isn't real, then we all know that you know, we've got to stop this. Um, but he is real. <laughs> and I do think that if we're honest with these things, he will meet us like he met Thomas. Because he can handle your struggles. Is he the Lord? If he's the Lord, he can handle your struggles. If he's the Lord, he can handle earnest protests and questions. You know, there was a really helpful chapter on the book where, in the 40 days of Jesus, but he talks about tunnel questions and cave questions. I thought it was a wonderful, brilliant, vivid picture that cave questions, they're, just, they're not really questions. You're just either moaning or you want to get up to something or whatever, you know. So you're not, look, you know, you're just burrowing deeper and deeper into nonsense. Tunnel questions are, you're looking to follow him, but ah, how does this work? Or, but what about, I've just read this and, you know, or whatever. And he says, but tunnel questions are where the further you go in, the closer you'll get into the light. Oh, what a wonderful image. The closer you'll get into that place where you come out and he's, he may have answered the thing specifically. He may have put someone into your path or something in your hand which has answered the thing specifically. Or he may have just said, I'm with you and it's enough. But he's brought you out. You see, this is the peace that Jesus brings. He's the author of our faith and he operates on a deeper level than our doubts. Praise God. So, I want to just uh, finish by this thing he says to, to Thomas. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I will say this. The, the weaker my faith is, the more I find myself investing in the scene. The more I find myself diverting to the seen things. In a primary way, I, I find my heart begins to go after the seen things in a primary way. The stronger my faith is, the closer I'm walking with the Lord, the less I need those things in that way. And I do, I do want to ask you to just be before the Lord. Those of you who are disciples, be before Jesus and just say, Lord, think about the things you are investing in that are seen. And just say, Lord, help, help me to make sure this is not a manifestation of the fact that I'm not believing you anymore. That I'm, it's just important. Like I say, there's so many good things in life and they are part of God's good grace and provision and blessing. And, you know, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, for all the good things. But something can shift in us where those become the primary things. And the Bible says they're temporary. It's a bad investment. It's a bad investment. Why? Not because they're bad, but it's temporary. They will rust, they will spoil, they will fade. 
whether that's your body, whether it's a new car, they will rust, spoil and fade. The, etern- the, the, the unseen things are eternal. It's a good investment. He has our best interests at heart. But it's, it's a robust faith that takes hold of that. It says, yeah, I get it. I see it. The Bible talks about enduring as those seeing that which is unseen. That's what faith does. I see it. It's a, that's what the Lord wants to put into us. And the more and more we're around his word, fellowship around the presence of, the, of God by his spirit, that faith grows and deepens and becomes more and more, um, more and more uh, robust and more and more um, powerful in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> I just, I think it'd be great to just to, to be able to respond together. Um, firstly, just, you know, there's some, of, maybe there's some here, you know, Jesus just saying, peace be with you. Your peace is in my wounds. Come to the cross for the first time. Or maybe you just know, I came to the cross, but I've wandered from the cross. Because we, 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 we've got to live there, haven't we? Do you know what I mean? Not in a morbid way at all, but in the sense of our, we know why we stand right with God. Because Jesus has taken our debt. And we never move on from that. And so you might say, yeah, I know, but I've wandered. And then maybe you think, oh, I really want to, what I need to today, come back to the cross and just say, Jesus, my peace is in your wounds. Um, I just feel for, for others of us that second point of just knowing the peace of God in letting our light shine. As the Father sent me, so I've sent you. Don't hide it. Don't hide it. It's not about trying to be something. Just don't hide who you are. This is who he's made you. Just don't hide it. Yeah, it's really not a performance. It's not like now you've got to... No, just be who he's made you. Yeah, be, don't, don't put something on top of it. Out of fear or complication. He, my peace I give to you. Here's my spirit. Okay. Let our light shine. And then, for some maybe, you've got some big old tunnel questions and you're like, ah, you're struggling with doubt. Bring it to him. He is big enough. He is big enough. Watch what he does. Wait and, you know, in a good way, kind of say, Lord, this is a big deal, you know. And don't, I, as we were singing, maybe the band could come up, is that okay? As we were singing and praising earlier, I did feel in my spirit, I don't know if I can describe it, I just felt for some, I think today's a little bit urgent. It's always urgent in one level, but I just feel for some today, it's particularly urgent. There's, a, there's something to attend to between you and, and the Lord. And it's always in the heart, you know, it's, it's a heart thing. There's something to attend to. And I do, I, when I felt that, I think, oh gosh, I want to I respond to the Lord's prompting. I want to urge you, please take that seriously. Um, I do, you know, we live in, we do live in difficult times, I think, to be honest. I, I think that the, the whole atmosphere is probably set against Bible-believing Christianity. There's a, there's, a, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on right now. And when you feel the Spirit prompt you and quicken you, it's, please, please be quick to, to respond, um, because, because this is real. Yeah? Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet?